0: Hi, I'm Lisa Morton, founder of Roland Dransfield PR. Welcome to We Built This City. With this podcast, I wanted to shine a light on the people who put the heart into modern Manchester. You can build a city with bricks and mortar, but it's the people that make Manchester great. People like my guest, photographer Sharon Latham.
1: And I'm immensely proud that my images captured those key moments. You know, you wanted to run on the pitch and celebrate with the players, but you had to stop yourself because you were the one that was capturing what was being celebrated.
0: Sharon Latham is a Mancunian freelance photographer who was the first ever woman official Premier League photographer. And she was at Manchester City for over seven years. She's also Noel Gallagher's official photographer, and she's travelled the world capturing moments, including the Champions League win in 2016 and the High Flying Birds and U2 in Sydney. She also photographed Elton John's Oscars after party and was recognised by the one and only Bradley Cooper on the red carpet. She's photographed icons from the sports and music scene, including Vincent Company, Mario Balotelli, Lady Gaga, Bruce Springsteen, Coldplay, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Snapper Shaz, as she is on Instagram and Twitter, also launched a selfie guide app with former City goalkeeper and friend Joe Hart, which, with over 330,000 users, shows you exactly where to get the perfect selfie in the best spots around the world. And you'll rarely see her without her camera in her hand. Sharon, thank you for joining me on We Built This City. Not a problem. My pleasure. Thank you. So for our listeners, Sharon is a bona fide Greater Mancunian. She was born and bred in Bolton and she's lived in Greater Manchester all her life. Sharon, we met working on Vincent Company's testimonial campaign Tackle for Manchester in 2018-19 when he was captain of Manchester City. And obviously, Laura Wolfe had introduced us on the back of our being involved in the Northwest Football Awards. And the campaign raised around a million pounds for a bed every night, helping to tackle rough sleeping and homelessness in Manchester, Greater Manchester. And it's one of the best projects I've ever been involved in my career. And one of the events in that fundraising campaign was a charity gala dinner, which was attended by the whole of the First City team and Noel Gallagher who played an amazing set that night and basically Sharon you were the common thread and through your career you've traveled the world with them both obviously separately and we'll come to that shortly but first Noel Gallagher said about you over the years I've been lucky enough to work with some of the finest photographers in the world and I put Sharon right up at the very very top. So that's a massive accolade from Noel so how do you think you earned that accolade from him?
1: Oh my God, what an opening question. <laughs> um, yeah, They're throw it straight in. <laughs> I don't know. I've been blessed in respect of being his uh, friend for nearly 14 years now. So um, I don't know. I work hard. I think my ethic of working hard and being trustworthy is one of the reasons. Uh, and plus he likes my pictures, which always helps. Mm-hmm. So
0: Yeah they are fantastic pictures and you said that you managed to be in the right place at the right time with the right lens but there's an expression that I believe in which is luck happens when preparation meets opportunity. So how much preparation went into becoming a professional photographer?
1: Do you want the whole backstory? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I loved photography from being a teeny tiny little girl And uh, my dad was heavily into photography and used to take us up on the hills up Rivington Pike, near where I live now, and do lots of landscape photographs. Over the years, I just got used to sort of being around a camera all the time. And then unfortunately, when I was eight, my dad passed away quite suddenly and dramatically. And um, I inherited his camera, so to speak. I basically just nicked it, if I'm being honest. (laughs) and kept it, and then that was it. I, I don't think I ever, from the age of eight, didn't take a photograph virtually mm-hmm. every day. For Christmas and birthdays, I'd get sort of like uh, vouchers to get films developed or I'd get new films bought me, and that was that was it. And over the years, I'd buy extra lenses or save up money. So it's been a passion from being a very, very small girl. Turning it into a career, absolutely definitely I think right place right time for various things but honing your craft over time but I didn't see it as a job I didn't see it as a a way of making money I just loved doing what I was doing and it was only later in life that the the actual career element sort of worked out nicely over the years I took photographs of family friends People stopped saying, "Oh, it's all right." People they stopped taking cameras to events, and I'd be like, <laughs> oh, "Sharon, will bring a camera, every <laughs> So I'd be there every birthday, christening, twenty-first anniversary, you name it. You know, Sharon would have a camera, and then over the years, when having children, you know, having children is like just amazing, and you get to use your camera even more then. And then, music and sport was something that were. I was involved with all my life in between all of this with your kids and everything. But music has always been a passion. And if I wanted to do something, it was always going to be in the music scene of photography. And I, and I never thought I'd end up being a sports photographer, but I did. I made the decision when the kids were growing up that if I was going to actually make money out of being a photographer, I had to do it then. So when they all grew up, I think my youngest was 14. Um, I actually then started diving into it properly. Um, and doing some freelance work. And then it was a case of being in the right place at the right time.
0: So just before we move on from that point, talking about the children, I was looking at some photographs. When I moved into the house, I got all these boxes of photographs of the kids. I've not dug into them and we got them out the other day and like Nina was saying my daughter was saying to me obviously that my son was the favorite child because there are so many photographs of him there's <laughs> only 21 months between them and I said I didn't know what day of the week it was never mind where the camera was when it came to her but um yeah and using proper cameras I was I loved uh I had a camera from being young and I did o level photography actually but it's so different isn't it than just snapping away on on your phone actually getting the camera out and It's a romantic thing to do, I think.
1: It is. It's a case of, though, when you are into photography, you're into it. You you know, you want to know about all the new lenses. You want to know about the best way to take photographs. And I actually loved, genuinely loved the development side of it. And every time I moved house, the house had to have either an understairs or a big enough bathroom so that I could put all my developing stuff in. So, yeah, I, I mean, when it's a passion, it's a passion. However... The development of the mobile phone and the way the cameras work on mobile phones now, it's just incredible, Mm. the power that you've got in your phone to take a photograph. So I don't knock them. And I use mine a huge amount of time. Mm. Um, And it allows you to make sure that you always have, you're always on the go. You always got it. Because sometimes carrying a massive camera around with you, because my cameras are so big, um, you know, you've got the power in your pocket, so to
0: speak. Yeah, absolutely. Although you do always carry your camera around with you. I don't I do, think I've ever yeah. seen you without that. I, do, I, do. I think it's the secret to your success. So you went to Liverpool to find your fortune in photography, first of all, didn't you? Yeah. I moved out to
1: Liverpool, as I said, the kids had grown up and I thought, right, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it now. And I thought, I'll go to Liverpool because I had a friend over there who was heavily into the music scene, the acoustic music scene. So I went over there and moved over there, got a, a small flat in Highton, two dogs fighting and then um, and stayed there and, and literally plowed the acoustic music scene in Liverpool I, I went to every open mic session I could I photographed everything and anybody I'd offer myself out to venues and and anything just to get some work and slowly but surely over the four years that I was there it, it happened I started getting jobs I got some work with a a, a really amazing record studio called Par Street Studios and I'd photograph unknown bands that were that were sort of cutting their first albums there, and that was great fun. You'd spend all night just photographing random kids, photographing, uh, um, making music, and it was it was fab. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what did happen while I was there? Another friend of mine set up a football, a non-league football team called uh, AFC Liverpool, and he was a good friend of mine, so I helped him with the start of this. And then he said, well, because it's the inaugural year, we set it all up because it's the inaugural year and the first time this team's ever played. Why don't you follow the team and come and photograph it? And I was like, oh, God, yeah. And I then got into the sports photography that way and and became sort of like heavily involved in it and loved it. Um, And then I started offering myself out on a freelance basis to non-league clubs, anybody and everybody that would take me. And um, it just went on from there. So the football side of it, was wound in subtly in a different way Mm -hmm. Um, and I started freelancing for places like Bolton and Blackburn and anywhere else I could get some work and um, it went from there but the key part came was whilst I was in Liverpool I had a horrific car crash Mm -hmm. and the the car crash that happened on Penny Lane (laughs) how apt Um, I stupidly well not stupidly it was an accident because I was slowing down instead of hitting the brake I hit the accelerator and smacked into the back of a massive PT cruiser, American PT cruiser. And um, my little ass just went, whoa. I unfortunately broke my back. My spinal cord was sort of like severely, it wasn't sliced or cut, but it, all the nerve endings were shocked. So I was paralyzed and I was paralyzed from the, the top right side down uh, and couldn't walk, couldn't do anything. So I spent six months in Whiston Hospital in Liverpool went to Southport Spinal Unit and they told me I'd probably not walk again properly. So that was a bit of a, a, a shattering experience and it took me a, a good 18 months to sort of like recover and was still not walking fully. And then I found a an amazing doctor in Hull who specialised in ballet dancers. Wow. Not to the time of ballet dancer in any way, shape or form. <laughs> um, no, he specialised in the fact that the spinal cord and your core as a ballerina, is is really important. So uh, he does all these exercises that strengthens the core and strengthens the spinal cord. And it was because of him that I was able to walk. But that was possibly one of the darkest times of my life. And and depression hit really badly because I I wasn't out and about. I wasn't taking photographs. I was stuck in a bed. It was was really hard. And it was only as I started to walk again that a friend of mine said, um, you should just go and do some photography. Go and do something somewhere. And I really had lost my mojo, and it was it was quite quite depressing. And um, I ended up going volunteering for the Manchester International Festival. That was just like amazing, and I got to photograph all sorts of these weird and wonderful things, including Marina Abramovich. You know, Marina Abramovich? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. What <laughs> year? What year was that then? When you did me? It must have been two thousand and seven. Yeah. And she was just incredible, spooky, a bit yeah. freaky, but she was incredible. And I photographed that whole sort of like festival that year. Um, still wasn't feeling brilliant about myself, but the the images were put on the website and they were used all over the place. And then I got a phone call from a friend of mine and he said, oh, Shaz, he said, are you back in the game? He said, I've seen your pictures of the festival. Amazing. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, yeah, I'm I'm slowly getting there. And he said, look, he said, I've just got a freelance gig at Man City. He said, I'm doing video work there. He said, "Uh, do you want me to try and get you in as a a freelancer? And I'm like, yeah, whatever. That's never (laughs) going to happen. And uh, he did. And he phoned me up and he said, yeah, yeah, they've asked you to come and uh, sort of like do this friendly game because it was pre-season," And I was like, "Okay," And I went. And then that was it. Slowly over time for that first 12 months, I'd go to every home game. I was freelanced for every home game. And then I made great friends with the wonderful Chris Bailey, who then was the content manager of the website and social media. And he sort of like was like, yeah, you can come and photograph this and you can come and do that. And then I made friends with the press division. So again, I get asked to go and shoot new players that were arriving, which was just incredible. Mm -hmm. And then after a year of sort of doing that, I'll never forget Vicky Kloss who's the head of communications contacted me and said oh we are going to be actually advertising a full-time job are you are you interested in applying and I thought
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm gonna laugh at you uh, and I said I probably would do yeah and I did do and um I was told there was like 65 applicants
0: oh my and, uh, god
1: I got down to the final five and I was like absolutely ecstatic that we got down to the final five, not even thinking that I would get taken on as a full-time employee. I was quite happy freelancing, thinking, you know, whatever it is, it is. And then, uh yeah, I, I got down to the final two. It was down to presentations and all the rest of it and uh, I got the job. So
0: that was it. That was yeah. me up and running. Obviously, you know, Manchester city of first and it's fitting, I think, that you were the first ever official club photographer for a Premier League club. As a female, yeah. 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 I, was first
1: ever, I was the first ever female Premier League club photographer. That no other Premier League club had taken a woman on.
0: Quite a shock, isn't it, really, given that it wasn't even that long ago? 2010 it was. Yeah. And your dad would be very proud, I'm sure. It must have been an amazing time.
1: I mean, I still... I don't know. I think a lot of creative people have huge self-doubts about themselves and, and belief, and I think that's just part of who we are. And I still, to this day, I think, you know, why did they do that? And I still look at the stuff and think, oh, my God, that's my those are my pictures. It's amazing. I'm amazingly proud of the stuff I did, but you sort of think, oh, God, why did they choose me? What, what about that? And you're still, you're still quite humbled by it, really, definitely.
0: Really creating history there by your work, aren't you? Mm. I mean, incredible moment in time couldn't believe what i was getting to photograph as well there's a link do you think between music and sport because i mean they're both very high energy aren't they you're capturing a moment there's a lot of it's spontaneous what do you think you enjoy about the two things that are similar
1: um i think yeah there is a similarity also as well with football it's it's a it's quite a male dominated environment and um, music can also be that and i think i found myself photographing more male than, than female performers in music as well, even so. I, I don't know what that's all about. Not a glue. Maybe it's just animal magnetism. <laughs> Not sure. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the similarity because it's all speed, it is action, It's you've got to wait for a moment, you've got to be in that place and, and be in that right spot. And also, the advantage in sport with me was the fact that I was watching the players train and I was photographing them train every day. So sometimes I knew the set pieces. Yeah. So I could see what was going to happen it was going to go here there and there and I knew that that was going to try and going to, and, and it was going to be a goal so that was quite handy on the music front again if you tour with somebody you get to see what they're doing sort of every night in every gig so you can you can actually think and pinpoint where you should be and what, what the best angle is going to be so yeah it's spontaneous but also it can be you can you can make it quite predictable if you if you're doing it a lot of the time.
0: That's so interesting because I was going to say that looking at your images, if it is a photograph of the players in the in the dressing room or whatever or if it's Noel on tour, you feel like you're a privileged fly on the wall and it feels like it's a a truly spontaneous moment. But then that's really interesting because it's practice, 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 isn't it? It's all the work that you put in to make it look spontaneous, but it's probably hours of observation really to get that, yeah, that moment. I mean,
1: but I also think it's the sheer fact that if you, like, for example, with the Noel stuff, if you're around him a lot of the time, you you then blend into the background, so they forget. The band will forget that you're there. Mm-hmm. So that allows that wonderful fly on the wall thing. And and without their trust, and without that persistence of staying with them a, a long period of time, those images would never happen. Yeah, if they're not used to you being there and just forget that you're there. They'll they'll react differently and behave differently. So yeah, th- those shots are spontaneous, but they're also because I've spent so much time with them. And it's the same with the with the players in the dressing room and the players in the boot room and all the rest of it. It was the norm for me to be in that boot room. So there was never any difference. I've got pictures that I can't even show because <laughs> I could never put them out in the light of day because there's things that, that, you know, pranks that went on in boot rooms and things that happened in dressing rooms that you just, you couldn't show. But again, that's great and that's natural. And that's because i have been embedded in that environment mm. so it, it, it is a long it's a longevity thing of being
0: left to to follow and watch what they're doing. And to be part of that team at that time when City was going through that meteoric rise must have been amazing because you're a massive, a massive City yeah. fan anyway aren't you yeah. so yeah. I mean what a time and a place.
1: Uh, I, I th- I still pinch myself and there there are key moments and there are key things that happened that I still tear up about now you know there's games that are so memorable there are moments and things that happened that that weren't just football related um, that that you, you don't ever forget and I'm never going to forget and I'm immensely I'm so chuffed and proud that my images captured those key moments you know you wanted to run on the pitch and celebrate with the players but you had to stop yourself because you were the one that was capturing what was being celebrated. Hmm. Um, which is quite difficult because you have people like Nigel De Jong running up to you, wanting to hug you and you're like, back off, back off. I'm trying to capture this. <laughs> um, one of the key ones for me was the semi-final, the FA Cup semi-final in 2011 when we played United. It's a moment that I talk about quite a lot and it, it's, it, I'm quite happy to say it again, but I, didn't realise and, and didn't know when you're at Wembley. It was the first time I'd been at Wembley and I was like, you know, so excited. And I'd put my bag down at one end and sorted myself out for the other end and I was all prepared. I remember standing at the tunnel photographing the players coming out to warm up and, and that, my stomach was in knots because I was so excited. The lovely Man United frog came up to me and said, Oh, he said, um, Shall we walk on together or do you want to go on first and me second? And I was like, I'm sorry, what do you mean? He said, for the coin toss. And I was like, you are? He said, oh, we'll be be walking on the pitch behind the players for the coin toss. And I was like, what? (laughs) What? So I was then panicking like mad, thinking, I'm going to walk on Wembley's pitch. I'm going to be walking to the centre circle when this is all kicking off. (laughs) So they all lined up and blah, 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 blah. And it was all blah, blah, blah. And then they all set off to go to the places. And that was him. And he looked at me, he just gave me a thumbs up. And I was like, (laughs) <laughs> and literally within about four steps I was in tears the noise I'll never forget it the, the whole noise of that, that theatre because it was like a theatre was just unbelievable yeah. how the hell they concentrate as footballers with that going on yeah. I have no idea <laughs> and um, yeah I just sobbed all the way to the centre circle <laughs> to the centre circle must have looked such a mess I remember then they really looking at me, going, "Are you alright?" Like, okay? And I was like, "Just, just do the thing." And uh, the man, United nice photographer, was like, "La la la la," quite blind, babe. And I'm like, Ooh. "And then I remember turning around, got the shots, the pennant exchange, and all the rest of it, handshake off, they went." I remember walking back, and I was just absolutely. I put the camera down by this point, and I was absolutely in bits. And David Silva come running over to me, all <laughs> of me went. Are you okay, Sharon? What is wrong? And I was like, "Go and play football." <laughs> so, yeah, that that was a, an unforgettable moment <laughs> and one I'll never, I, honestly, never ever forget. And then the other one was the, um, of course, the famous arse shot. Oh yeah, <laughs> tell us this. It was it was an accident. It wasn't <laughs> my fault, um, and I nearly lost my job because of it. You know, people laugh about it and joke about it, but it it was really bad. So we'd won. We'd won the freaking FA Cup. And it was like, yes. And I remember Carlos going up the steps and everybody following Carlos up the steps and they were all going to get the trophy. And, oh, and I remember this, this steward saying this um, sort of like, official PR guy from from Wembley saying you can stand in this bit because you're the club photographer and this guy can stand here and, and this and the apple and that'll happen meanwhile behind us they were setting up the trophy champagne thing so I'm like right okay well I'll track them getting the trophy photograph them coming down the steps and I'll I'll turn around and I'll get the shot of them on the on the podium before they pop the car on the champagne so I did this and and Tevez was being silly as he's coming down the steps, using the lid as a hat, and then he dropped it and cracked it, by the way, (laughs) Um, put it back on, messing about, everybody walks onto the podium, so I thought I'll get centre spot here, so I I walks a bit further, goes a bit closer, getting all the angle lined up, and, um, and then they all started just going, oh, you know, like to lift the trophy up and pop the champagne. And literally, as the pot went and I got the photograph, the next thing, I'm on the deck. I'm on the floor. Somebody rugby tackled me to the floor. And I was like, what the actual fuck are you doing? And I got up. And the steward's like, get out, get out. And I looked behind me. And there was 95 of the world's press and media trying to get that shot that I'm stood right in the middle of. So all they got was my fat ass bent over taking that shot. And that was it. 35 years of no trophy and the trophy list comes to it and Charles gets her ass in it. <laughs> well, honestly, no, the <laughs> thing it was not it was not good. So as soon as all the pandemonium had gone and we went into the dressing room and I got all these fantastic shots in the dressing room, I'd forgotten about it then. I come out and... um One of the officials comes over to me, uh, you've got a phone call. You need to go and speak to this person on the phone. And basically, it was a case of the photograph that you've just taken of that trophy lift, you will have to give to everybody now. You can't keep it. In the world. Nobody got that shot. Nobody got it. So, uh, yeah, I had to give that shot. And then I had to send individual emails to every single one of the newspaper's PR companies, press companies, independent freelance companies that all lost the shot apologising and saying about my enthusiasm and <laughs> lack of knowledge and it wasn't intentional because some of them thought i had done it on purpose. Yeah. And that's just not my bag, man. I, I would never have done that. Yeah, g- good job the, the guy rugby tackled me move because I'd have decked him. <laughs> I, know,
0: I was going to say, brave man.
1: <laughs> I, I, I couldn't believe it. And I was so in shot and didn't understand what he was doing. <laughs> But you know what? No fucker stopped me walking on. <laughs> that's no one stopped me in the middle of it.
0: Oh, that's that like, there's plenty of room at the top because no one's prepared to do that, are oh, they? So well done you. you. have you kept that email? Because I bet you weren't doing much partying, were you that night? If you no. Were
1: not busy. No, but I had to write them individually to ones that I knew as well. And and you know what? I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not joking now. For about 12 months, some of those uh, key agencies were a bit shitty with me mm-hmm. because I had to control I had to help control. At the stadium, every time we had a home game, it was me that organised the passes and uh, accepted uh, photographers that were coming in to photograph games, which was a a logistical nightmare in some instances because there's only so much space. At the big games, you've got every agency and every, uh, you know, press society that wants to come and photograph it. So they weren't very <laughs> happy they? Are you off the Christmas card list. <laughs> I was off the Christmas card list for a long time. But I managed to worm my way back and be pleasant and nice to everybody. And, uh, oh. and when I left, I remember when I left City, they all clubbed together. They got the shot of my ass taking that photograph, framed in this beautiful frame, and every single one of the photographers signed it around the outside. That's amazing. Yes, yeah, so I've got oh, my That's my wall. fantastic. There yeah. you go.
0: You admit it, fix it, move on one of our values. You got yeah. put it together, yeah. didn't you? Let's just talk about Vincent. I mean, obviously, you know, that's how we met through Vincent and an incredible man. He came to our offices a few times and it was quite funny because the whole building ground to a halt basically. Nobody could quite believe he was walking through our corridors. But what he did in that testimonial year was so Mancunian and it was so wonderful. And there's no doubt he's, um, you know, he's obviously an adopted man now. But what for you was the kind of the ingredient of his captaincy there? How did that impact on the culture of the club while you were working with him?
1: One word for Vincent, he's stoic. Mm. You know, he's a, a very strong, big man, not only physically, but in in character. His silence and his intellect are mesmerising. He's, mm. he's just a, an incredible human being. His passion for whatever he chooses to be passionate about is what takes him forward as well, I think. And and he's just a brilliant fella, absolutely brilliant. You know, you see him with his family and his kids and all the rest of it, and then he's back at work and he's on it. He's, mm.
0: he's, he's,
1: he's very, very passionate and very, very good at what
0: he does. And mm. much missed, hopefully, he'll have a return. I, I was He and, and his wife, Carla, who's fabulous, too, came out undercover on some uh, street walks with us and, you know, very humble about learning about the issue of homelessness. And I, and I was, you know, it's a privilege to to work with him. And also he introduced me to you. So that was fantastic too. <laughs> Ironically, so you moved on from City, but with a, a City fan as big as you almost then with Noel, didn't you? So how yeah. did that come about? I photographed
1: Oasis quite a few times before I started at City. I was I was very lucky to photograph them at Main Road, I photographed them at the Etihad when the whole barrier thing collapsed and happened. So I'd, I'd come across and, and, and met both of them quite a few times. And then obviously working at City, they were both at City every game. And then obviously when things went a little bit, oops, thanks for coming now. And they're not speaking anymore. I um, I don't know. It just ended up that I, I ended up photographing Noel Moore in the box that he was in because Liam was always in a different box. And I just ended up stumble across him more and he, and he was involved in the club quite a lot doing videos as well so yeah we there was a friendship there and I remember when we won the um, FA Cup uh, sorry the Premier League in 2012 I got a photograph of, of him on the pitch and he was hugging Sergio I sent him an email and said look I've got this amazing picture of you on the pitch do you want it and he said yeah I'll pay you to just blow it up and get it as big as you can. No, you did, and he's got it in his—he's got it in his house now. But yeah, we—we we were, we were sort of like interwoven through the club, and then slowly but surely, we became closer friends. And I have got his mobile number, and we were texting. And it's like, <laughs> I'm texting <laughs> Noel. Going. But then it's the case of, as you know, you don't see them as that person, as that celebrity anymore. They're just—it's just Noel, mm-hmm. and he's—he's he's in my phone as Noel. And it's like I don't I don't get that whole. Ah, it's Noel. No, mm-hmm. it's just Noel. And, uh, he's, and he's such a top bloke. He's incredibly funny. He's incredibly warm. But when I was leaving city, and he came to do a photo shoot, sorry, a video shoot. He was the first person, if you remember, to interview Pep. Yeah. So that was my last informal photo shoot at the club, and it was Pep and Noel. And I did all the the behind-the-scenes shots and what have you. And Vinny came in on that as well. Um, So that was the last thing I did. And he he came over to me. He said, what are you going to do? You can't leave. And I went, I am. I've got to, you know, I'm going. And he's like, but what are you going to do? I said, well, I've got all sorts of stuff. I don't have to take pictures of footballers, you know. I'm I'm a photographer. That's what I do. And he said, well, what's your first job? I said, oh, I've got a couple of things lined up. I said, plus I'll come on tour with you. And he went, All right. and that was it that was it <laughs> honestly he jokes about it now because he says a lot of people like his bass player russell from the zootons i remember he was at, um he was telling this story at a book launch of mine with him and he said that he was in the front room one day and, and when they'd split up and everything russell phoned him up and he went all right la because he's from the he said uh, have you got a bass player yet <laughs> he went no no not yet he said oh I'll play bass for you. And Noel's joke now is just ring me up and ask me and I'll yes. uh, I'll say, yeah, because I did the same thing. I just went, I'll come on tour with you. And he went, oh, okay then. And that was it.
0: And were you not away with him for a year? You thought it was going to be like two weeks or a few yeah. weeks, literally. Yeah. Yeah. It ended up that um, in
1: 2016, he did a lot of festivals in the UK. So he's just like, I'll come to this one. Yeah, you might as well come to this one now. Come on to this one. And then 2017, the same thing happened. And then in 2018, it was... Uh, the American tour, which was just unbelievable, went everywhere in America with him. Um, and there was <laughs> the American tour buses are slightly different to uh, European tour buses. There is smaller. And he said to me, Shaz, I'm sorry, he said, there's just no room on the on the back tour bus. He said, you he said, are hey, you all right if I get you a car? So he got me a hire car and I drove all around America (laughs) following the tour buses. But what I'd do is I'd leave in the night and try and get there before they got there. So I'd get no sleep, sleep during the day, get up, do the sound check, do the gig and do the same thing again. So it was incredible and uh, an amazing road trip. So that was that was 2018. 2019 was uh, European and uh, festival stuff again. And then twenty twenty was gonna be Glastonbury.
0: Yeah. Shame. It'll all come yeah. back. I'm just trying to think about the visualizing you in a little in a little car following those. Doors. Actually, no,
1: he was very kind. He got me one of those like SUV things. Oh, did you? Lobbed all my kit in the back of it and I'm in the car driving them. van driving my And staying in some of the most crummiest, weirdest motels. Because as you do on expenses, you want to keep it low budget. Because I'm I'm not that sort of person. I'll sleep in the car if it comes to it.
0: But I mean, you must have seen some sites and you know, people think it's very glamorous. But clearly, I mean, you worked oh, your backside no. off on that trip, didn't you?
1: No, it's not. It's not glamorous in any way, shape, or form. Mm. Um, it's still every gig is still exciting, though. Yeah. It, it, it's bizarre to say that, but it is. Every time that even the, the the walk-on music you know he's walking on and it, you, you, your heart's still going and the the throng of people that are screaming and bawling behind is is incredible even in america you sort of think what the heck and there's, there's all sorts of age ranges it's incredible absolutely incredible
0: it must be slightly say some really unusual venues that you just wouldn't normally have got to to see you wouldn't even know existed probably on a trip like that
1: Yeah, we went to the big, cool, amazing venues, but we also went to some of the most small, unusual ones. And one of the most famous ones, I think, was the Grand Old Opry in uh, uh, Nashville, Yeah, which was just like a church. It's unbelievable. It's it's just this wooden room. It's like a church. It's really Mm -hmm. cool. And the sound in there is unbelievable. And then bizarre places in, like, little outback places that have got these beautiful old-style theatres. Mm-hmm. and Philadelphia and Denver and and the first place we got to was detroit and it absolutely dumped so much snow you've never seen anything like it and i was driving around in the getting in this car and i'm thinking oh my god i'm going to die cuz the snow was so deep and um i remember driving across from 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 detroit thinking what the hell am i doing here <laughs> And we were driving. About, I was driving about four miles an hour because it was such. <laughs> and these cars whizzing past me, I'm thinking, "Oh, that's not safe." But yeah, yeah, it was. It was an experience. You we went from snow to brilliant sunshine in LA by the end of the tour, which was just bizarre.
0: And did you have any kind of starstrucky moments there? Did people hanging yeah. out in Noel's uh, dressing room that you didn't expect to meet?
1: <laughs> oh God, yes. Mr Bradley Cooper. <laughs> Bradley Cooper we were in LA and um Nolan said afterwards oh we're just going to have a few drinks leave the camera shaz leave the camera just come and have a few drinks after the cake yeah 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 great. So I remember walking in this room and it was like it wasn't a big room it was just like a, a backstage room and there were lots of people drinking beer and and I'm being introduced to people and this this guy introduced me to um he said oh this is such such a body I can't remember his name now which is really unprofessional of me and he said uh, He's Debbie Harry's drummer. I was like, oh, that's cool. So I chatted chatting to him about Debbie Harry. Great. And then Noel comes over. He's like, you all right? Yeah, 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 I'm fine. I said, this is a bit star-studded, isn't it? He said, oh, you know. He said, it's LA, isn't it? Anyway, I looked and across the room, there was this guy sat on the sofa. I said, oh, look, there's a, there's a Bradley Cooper he over there. And Noel just went, that's Bradley Cooper. And I went, huh? <laughs> anyway, come on Shaz and he walked over and went, no, 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 don't and he's like dragging me across the room and like, no, don't, no, leave it and uh, Bradley, Co- Bradley Cooper sees Noel and Bradley Cooper sat next to his other really pretty actress and he stands up and he's really tall he's so attractive and really tall and he stands up, so there's me who's six foot one he stands up and then Noel's there and Noel's looking up at both of them I'm going and walked away <laughs> Even we stood there with Bradley Cooper. <laughs> I stood there for 20 minutes trying to talk casually whilst having possibly the biggest menopausal hot flush I've ever had. In my life. <laughs> and uh, and he stood there like, oh, uh, and working with Noel. I was like, Oh, you're so sweet. Um, well, and I was like, Yada, yada, yada. And then he's asking me about other stuff that I do, and I went, I've got an app. And I started telling him about the selfie guide, thinking, you're going to love the selfie guide because you travel a lot. And brother came <laughs> looking at me going, well, that's that's really cool. That's quite inventive. And he went, listen, I've got to go. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> he said, I've got to go. He said, I'm going over to put such things." thing. I was all right, cool. He said, we must get a selfie. And I was like, <laughs> you're asking me for a selfie? Said, yeah, yeah, we must. So I, took, I, I stood there and got this selfie with him and off he went. And it was only when I looked at the selfie that I didn't realise. I took the selfie and in the background, you've got Noel's bass player, Russ, going like that in the oh, background, up, pulling a face. So, yeah, it's <laughs>
0: always
1: yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, I said to Russ, I said, why have you done that?
0: It's a perfect photograph.
1: And he went, well, he said, if you're going to photobomb a photograph, you might as well photobomb Bradley Cooper, mightn't you? So uh, yeah, that was uh old, you know, I was absolutely starstruck with that, which I'm not usually, but it was mm. just the it was just the randomness of yeah. it. You don't expect Bradley Cooper to be sat in the dressing room at Noel Gallagher's gig, do you but they're mates, they're really good friends. Really? Yeah.
0: We had a slight starstruck, well, a very big one. We went to LA in February 2020, just before the whole world turned upside down, and on the plane. Nina my daughter just looked up and she as we get on the plane there was Ed Sheeran so she <laughs> is a she's a singer she sings all his stuff and we were all getting smashed on champagne because we were so excited we be going to LA and she stayed sober the whole way so she managed to go and chat to him after the flight oh. and he took, he took a picture of her with him and he was so nice because uh, she went to ACM where he went for three weeks before he got his big deal but he was absolutely lovely and um, yeah and you've got to do it and people are that nice and don't his his managers weren't too keen but he was just an absolute gentleman you know so yeah you know that's how you uh you should behave I think but yeah I mean you met Bradley again though didn't you did he not recognize you next time (laughs) so
1: fast forward to um I, I go and do Toronto Film Festival every year which I absolutely love and that's just the most hectic unbelievable event because they have like five red carpets a day so you're bouncing from theater to theater to go and take all these red carpet shots it's just incredibly exhausting exhilarating i don't get any sleep for about 10 days while i'm there it's just brilliant um but they were the star a star is born was being premiered there it's like ooh, on the red carpet lady gaga ooh, so um I'm, I'm this space. There's this tiny space on the red carpet for the photographers, and everybody had, had got accreditation to photograph it. So there was something like forty odd photographers in this really small space. So I got I got there as quick as I could, and I got my name called, but I was quite late being called. So there was like rows and rows and rows of photographers all in front of you. So I borrowed a lovely BBC cameraman's stool. And I'm six foot one, so I stood on this stool and it made me about seven foot tall, but it was great because I could see all the way down the red carpet. (laughs) Because this red carpet is massive. And there were thousands of people because they're just all, because Lady Gaga's coming, it was screaming mentalness. So everybody's waiting and you see them walking down the carpet and they're signing stuff and talking to fans. And she's doing this whole wacky posing.
0: <laughs> and
1: uh, she gets to the, she gets to the bit where the uh, photographers are and Bradley had gone talking to somebody on the other side. So she stood posing for us. So I'm sticking out like a sore thumb on this stool. And uh, he walks over and stands next to him, puts his arm around her waist and he's looking at the photographers and they all shout over here, over here. And I just went, I just shouted, hello, up here. And he looked up and he just went, oh, <laughs> thought, no. And he, come, he walked away from her, walked the barrier and stood talking to me. He went, I'm rubbish with names. He said, but you're Noel's photographer, aren't you? And I was like, oh, my God, shoot me. Now. <laughs> All these photographers then are photographing him talking to me. <laughs> I'm looking like a complete dickhead stuck on this stool, standing <laughs> out like a sore thumb. And he's like, oh, it's so nice to see you again. I'll catch you again soon. And he went over and Gaga's looking at me like, who the fuck's that? <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so that was my my second Bradley encounter. Um, but he's an absolute gent. I fancy remembering somebody's face like that.
0: And also, though, the accent may maybe like that Mancunian Probably, accent yeah. on the red carpet <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: You can't miss this voice, can you, Real? No, but that works to my advantage in, in America and Canada because you've got lots of Canadians and Americans shouting, Oh, to your left, to your right. And I stand there and go, Oh, nice shoes, love. And you'll like, oh, go, who said that? Thank you, thank you. So I tend to get them looking down the lens, which is quite handy.
0: Absolutely. And so and also you talked before about building relationships as a photographer, but you've got to do it very quickly, haven't you? In that to get that shot, in that moment, you've got to do something. Yeah, that makes you stand out. Yeah, completely. And the,
1: and and as I said, the voice, the personality, and compliments rather than just screaming at someone to look down your camera is, is far yeah. better. Yeah, um, I've made quite a few celebrity friends that way. That now when they see me, I'll go, hey, Charles, how's it going?" sort of thing. And it's people that will come back.
0: People like Elton John, Bruce Springsteen, Chris yeah. Martin. I mean, because yeah. you were you were a photographer, weren't you, for the stadium? Then so you did yeah. you covered a lot of those gigs.
1: Yeah, and then I was blessed while well, you were in LA I don't know that you were there at the same time but I was in LA this February just gone it with my last job that I did for the year yeah. and that was the Oscars yeah and I got to go and shoot wonderful Elton John's after show party as well which was great fun yeah and uh, he'd come back with his Oscar because he won an Oscar That's so it.
0: that photograph that you got as well is absolutely because he recognized you then didn't he yeah. at that moment yeah. as well yeah, yeah. <laughs> We talked about the selfie app before. Tell me a bit more about that because you you launched that with Joe Hart didn't you in partnership with Joe?
1: Yeah so uh, one of the main reasons for leaving City was to set up the selfie guide. Joe and I had talked about it years before and I told him I wanted to leave and do a book Mm. and I wanted it to be a book on how to take the best selfie in different places around the world and he said to me that's not a book that's an app. Mm. It developed from there really and then When I actually left, he said, Are we doing this? I said, Yeah. So I spent eight months traveling the world to try and get all the selfie spots. So basically, you download the app onto your phone, and there are 25 different locations. And in each of those 25 different locations are various selfie spots. So, for example, in Rome, you've got the Colosseum, the Trevi Fountain, the Spanish Steps. And what the app does, it actually takes you to the best spot where to stand so there's a map that walks you to the best place to stand when you get there there's an overlay system within the app that allows you to line up the picture shows you where to put your face and it lines up the picture so the background doesn't have the eiffel tower sticking out your head or the background (laughs) so you can line up and literally get the perfect selfie and um, I managed to find so many different spots that allow you not to have people in them because I know a lot of places when you get to like the Trevi Fountain, I think, what the hell? Mm. You get there, it's just like an auditorium. <laughs> of yeah. Um, but there are four spots that I found within where if you hold it in the right way, you can get a shot without anybody in the background and you get the whole of the fountain in as well. So it was an, you know, it was an amazing amount of research and, and effort gone into where those locations are. And I went as far away as New Zealand australia barcelona berlin all the key spots are in there at the moment we're obviously adding to them as we go along but the pandemic's hitting it's a bit difficult in the moment but i spent the first three to four years of the business marketing it and getting it out there so we've now got just over three hundred and thirty thousand people who use it on their phone now so incredible. yeah it's 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 quite handy and that's that's internationally and worldwide so now we're focusing this year on staycations, so I'm going to be doing some road trips around the UK to try and get some more selfie spots in the UK. But I've done road trips in Australia and people have followed me on social media, I make mean, a complete div out of myself in a camper van for various periods of time. And, uh <laughs> Yeah, that, that's quite popular for some reason. People like watching a woman disaster herself in a camper van, <laughs> <laughs> alone in Australia. Um, I'm gonna be doing that. I'm gonna be doing that again this year around the UK. I'm gonna hit some of the highlands of Scotland and try and get some selfie locations in Scotland and Cornwall and Devon so easy. that people can actually go and see these wonderful locations and take selfies.
0: Mm. But
1: there, it's all about travel selfies, not a selfie where you look pretty. No. It's yeah. about it's about capturing a memory and a moment and sometimes when you go on holiday to some of these amazing places you may never go there again so to take a selfie and get that picture absolutely spot on is is ideal but then we also get a lot of people just using the app to find the locations to go and look at places and and go and take normal photographs rather than a selfie so it's a travel app as well as being a, a photograph app as well.
0: I mean, I'm absolutely into my travel and spend so much time just kind of dreaming where I'm going to go to. when. We yeah, can. So yeah. there's going to be like everything, music going out, travel. There's going to be so much kind of pencil demand, isn't there when people can get out and do that? Your profession is, is music, is sport, it's photography, it's travel. And those are probably industries that you could not even imagine would be impacted the way that they have been impacted in the past 12 months. And I know that that must have been very, very difficult time, very challenging time for you. What have you dug into internally to kind of get yourself through have the courage, I suppose, in the past 12 months?
1: I can't even tell you how hard it's been because mm-hmm. I went from having 30 odd gigs lined up, including Taylor Swift, Elton John, Foo Fighters, Noel. Even Paul McCartney, I'd been asked to shoot Paul McCartney at the Glastonbury, and um, it all went. Everything went over literally overnight, and it's not come back in any way, shape or form. Really, the, the sort of stuff that I do. So yeah, trying to diversify on that was 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 one way, but that's really difficult. It's just it's just so hard. Same with the sport. They're restricting how many photographers are going into venues and what have you. So it's only key agencies. So freelancers like myself aren't, aren't getting in anywhere. And then on the travel side, forget it. Mm. I was dealing with large corporates and sponsors to try and monetize the app and and start earning some revenue from it. And that just all went within a month. So I've tried to get jobs, part-time jobs. I've tried to go and be a Tesco driver. I've I've applied for various jobs and got nowhere. So I diversified slightly and I went into my archive and I pulled out A huge chunk of um, key images from the past, and started selling those online, which I vowed I'd never do, but Mm. I've had to because I've had no way of paying the rent. Uh, I've spent most of my savings now just to live; it's it's all gone. But it it is what it is. There's lots of people in the same position, and I also set up an eco gift site called Betty's Booty,
0: Mm.
1: (laughs) and Betty's Booty is a uh, an eco friendly gift site, and I do hand-drawn bespoke tote bags so i've got four or five different designs you can have a look at betty's booty.com and uh, you can purchase a a hand-drawn tote bag which are amazingly beautiful even though i say so myself uh purses and knitted dishcloths right now let me tell you about knitted (laughs) dishcloths (laughs) i'm being serious here now ecologically all those wipes and those dishcloths that you buy in plastic wrappers and all that bollocks is so bad for the environment Mm. a knitted dishcloth the old school knitted dishcloth will last you forever and you can bleach it and wash it and use it over and over and over again and they're beautiful so i do those as well so every night of my life i spend knitting to make sure i've got a pile of them to sell and coming in january this is an exclusive here coming in january i will have uh, beeswax food wraps So no longer will you need to use cellophane to wrap things up. I've got these beautiful fabric, beeswax, food wraps, which I've uh, designed and done as well. Mm. But diversification, just to earn a living, is what I've had to do. And I think I've had two jobs all year. One was with Noel and one was with a a pantomime production company I work with every year who normally puts on 12 pantomimes. And he's he's managed
0: to get two out. So those are the only two jobs I've had all year. You've always been a grafter and you've been a single parent. And, and you know, I feel ashamed that I'm even going to mention this in, in kind of want just it's a whole podcast on this, but you've also come through cancer twice. Yeah. And, I, and you've got up every single day and you've, you've had to do what you've had to do to put bread on the table and to yep. keep going, haven't you? And that's an incredible strength and huge resilience.
1: I think it's, it, it's a case of because I've worked so hard to get where I am and, and, and be who I am. And enjoy what I do I don't want to lose that Mm. so I will do anything or or try my hardest just to make sure that yeah you're resilient enough to get up and crack on Mm. Um, we're blessed to live aren't we Mm. at the end of the day so you've you've got to make the most of it.
0: Mm. One of our values is champions do extra Shaz and I think that's definitely (laughs) one for you (laughs) that really stands out for me. How important a value has been in your life is that something that you've been aware of I mean obviously your kids must be massively proud of what you've done and you've you've always got up and done your best every day is that important and you've been surrounded by people I think they've also done that whether that's in sport and music if is that something that resonates with you
1: yeah and I mean people say who who's your inspiration who are you inspired by and one of my key inspirations is my daughter mm. she's absolutely incredible she's a single mum of two boys she works full-time She's just finished a degree and 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 got a first class honors in a degree. She's just incredible, but not only that throughout her life she's been inspirational to me, and I just think, wow, I created that, but moreover, she's just this incredibly strong, powerful woman, and she inspires me every day mm-hmm. um but I mean yeah, values are important to me honesty is one of the key ones and and i I feel that honesty is is absolutely vital honesty and trust loyalty um and passion for mm-hmm. what you're doing is is another one, and also I'm quite a, a an optimistic sort of person as well. Even though things have been absolutely diabolical, I still keep thinking, okay, well I can twist this and we'll do that, and I'll do this, and I'll try and do that. I mean, who'd have thought setting up a blinking eco craft site from being a photographer? It's a bit daft, but it's not because it's using my creative side. Yeah. I've always drawn, I've always taken pictures. It's it's just honing a different skill, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, you've got to be optimistic, you've got to be positive. Um, And I also think if you commit to something, you've got to stick with it as well. So those are values, optimism, commitment, strength and loyalty. I'm also loyal to people. Mm. If you book me as a freelancer, I'll I'll be loyal to you, whatever. Yeah, it's wonderful.
0: Sharon, so obviously we have the Roteland-Ransfield way and that's 15 values by which we hold ourselves accountable. Are there any on there that really stand out for you?
1: Um, I think one of the key ones is your uh, loyalty always as in we put in more than we take out purposeful relationships
0: last a lifetime I think that strikes a chord with me very very deeply and is that something that you've worked on to make sure that you have built those relationships
1: yeah it's it's vital really to be loyal and not to wander off onto another avenue with somebody else I think loyalty is what keeps your clients and keeps you know, that working
0: relationship core. Mm, yeah, I completely agree. Just lastly, in terms of legacy, Manchester is a place where we're really conscious about putting in more than we can take out. And there's no doubt that you've already left a legacy. I mean, some of the images that you created, they are there for generations to come. And, and that's very, very important to capture, you know, Manchester culture like that. What kind of legacy would you want to be thought to have left Manchester?
1: Uh, I mean, the images of the the, the football club are, are there. Mm-hmm. and they're, they're vitally important you know people say oh you've got furweather weather followers now and with weather fans but you know the original fans and those traditional fans have got those images now forever mm-hmm. and they're involved in those pictures as well so that that legacy is there and then Manchester is synonymous with music so leaving the pictures of Noel and, and having the ability to let people see the book that I produce with him as well these are all things that are there in time but yeah, you can't take away the Manchester City stuff. I think that's that's one of my lasting legacies because I was there at that point at that time, photographing things in places that people couldn't get to. And in my head, I always thought, what would the fans, what would I want to see? And yes, I'd want to see, you know, Joe Hart screaming in a room, in a dressing room once the, the trophy had been won. So yeah, uh, my legacy is, is my photograph,
0: definitely. And just tell us, what's the book called? Which one, love? Oh, I'm sorry, there's, there's a few. I know, I know. <laughs> trying to plug it for you.
1: <laughs> um, the Two-Man City books, I don't know whether they're still in print, but they're, they're, they were called Champions 1 and 2, I think, two, two, two seasons that we won the uh, Premier League. But the book, the Noel book, is Any Road Will Get You There If You Don't Know Where You're Going. Mm-hmm. And it's the only book that Noel's ever done, I've been involved with, and it's a, a photographic collection from his 2018 American tour. Oh, lots of stories and snippets in it as well of, of interviews with the band and with Noel it's really cool it's not just pictures but the pictures that are in there are they're quite good really
0: <laughs> who did those Sharon right quick fire round United no or City we know the answer to this one. Oh, I gonna... yeah. <laughs> don't even go there yeah. And again, all. Uh, what is your fa- Who is your favorite band or artist? No. <laughs> exactly. Star, I think yeah. you said Noel to. I've, I listened to something. You said Noel for uh, Mayor in the future, didn't you? At one point. Yeah. So oh my you good one. Definitely. Yeah. What would you order at the chippy? Chips, pudding, peas, and gravy. Mm. Pudding is top of the Manx list. You know, it's a, it's a popular one. And what do you miss about Manchester most when you're not here? People. Mm. And if you could take one photograph that summed up Manchester, what would it be? <sighs> Sorry, it's a toughie.
1: That is incredible. <laughs> wow.
0: You see, the core of
1: Manchester for me, it will always be home. But the the, the part of Manchester that is home are the people mm. and the warmth and the kindness. And, you know, you can talk about iconic buildings and you can talk about the bees, which I do believe the bee is a massive, cool symbol of Manchester, but it's the people. So if there was a way of taking a photograph right in the centre where the town hall is, I'd ram as many manks in there as I could get and take one of those. <laughs>
0: can I be on that so,
1: picture yeah honestly and, and there are so many manks that i love and adore oh, ranging yeah. from ranging from celebrities to to non-celebrities and i'd yeah. ram them all in there
0: yeah that's a place as many many as i can right in front of the town hall that iconic town hall oh let's see if you can get to do that photograph in in the next year or so when well we can't when it's open in 2024 apparently that's a yeah. shot oh, you would need to take amazing. that shot yeah right, Well let's work on that yeah let's We'll I Randy Berman <laughs> we'll, I on, we'll get that shot. Shaz, thanks so much for joining me on We Built the City. It's been brilliant. I just think your story is one about graft and determination and, and creativity, and, and I know that you'll never give up. And for me, the first time I met you, I just thought your energy was fantastic and you filled the room up and you got a smile for everybody. And I didn't even know at that point what you'd been through at that point and how many challenges you've been through in your life. And I think yours is a proper Mancunian story, making me feel emotional. <laughs> don't, don't, It's mind. been, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and, and I know you've got some stuff coming up in 2021 that you can't talk about, but I think it's going to be great and good luck with everything that comes.
1: Thank you very much. And thanks for having me. It's an honour.
0: Thanks, Shaz. <laughs> no problem. Sharon Layton helped to build this city by being the first female club photographer in the Premier League, by being in the right place at the right time with the right lens, by getting Bradley Cooper to recognise her on the red carpet at the Oscars, and by having her arse in the middle of Manchester City's first trophy lift in 34 years. We Built This City is out every Thursday, when you'll hear from another incredible Greater Mancunian. If you want to find more out about Roland Jansill PR, and you'd like some help in creating your legacy, please head to rdpr.co.uk for more information or give us a call on the same number we've had for 24 years, 0161 236 1122. Thank you and see you next time.